John unfolds the great mystery of the Incarnation, John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Father who came the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And just for a few moments, think a little bit about uh, the passage that we just read. John's Christmas story, of course, is very different than that of Matthew and Luke. No shepherds, no angels, no magi, no innkeeper, not even a baby. John instead gives us a concept, and reminds us of a building, and with those two things, seeks to explain what is happening in this story. Writing to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, John searches for a concept, a current concept, a loaded concept, to explain how God had revealed himself in Jesus. Logos is the concept that he used. It's the Greek word for word, but it meant more than that. To the Greeks, Logos was also personified. It was reason, reason, a divine, rational principle that governs things. William Barclay said it's nothing less than the the mind of God controlling the world. So the they were on board with this idea that there is some kind of mediation between God and the world, and they knew him as Logos. The Jews had a similar concept when wisdom was personified. Look at particularly Proverbs, the first part of the book of Proverbs. It was personified as God's agent, God's co-worker, especially in creation. And the Hebrew word, davar, which means word, was not only uh, a spoken or written word, but there was a sense in which it was active. And so John takes us back to Genesis 1. 
reminding us that the word God, of, by the word that God had created the world, that God had created light and life. Now, if there were, this were not enough, the Jews and Gentiles uh, did not necessarily always see this. There was a man that, was, uh, that had come by in, uh, before Jesus' birth. His name was Philo. He was a Jew. And Philo took this concept of Logos and tried to unite his Jewish religion with Greek philosophy to try to bring the two worlds together. He portrayed the Logos as a mediating figure coming from God and forming a link between God and the world, representing humanity as a high priest and advocate before God or God in action. All that to say that John picked a loaded term, understandable both to Jews and to Greeks, but giving new meaning to it, to describe Jesus as eternal and divine, preexistent, proceeding from God, yet a separate person. As word, Jesus was both God's divine self-expression and his final revelation. Describing Jesus as creative and illuminating, as the agent in creation, through whom God gives life and light, and is still active in the world. Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, verse 11, God talks about his word going out, and accomplishing what he desired and returning to him. So there was a little bit of, of active, um, active work happening through the word. Now up to this point, John's Jesus makes somewhat sense to both Jews and Greeks, but what follows would have confused them both. God in the flesh. In the Greek worldview, Logos was a lesser God because the higher God could have nothing to do with the material world, with flesh. So Logos could never be flesh because he was a mediator. He had contact with God. For the Jews, God could appear in visions, theophanies, but never in the flesh. But John describes Jesus as the one and only, and another word for, idea for this is the only begotten. He seems to be alluding to the Messianic Psalm 2, verse 7 where God says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So John reminds at least his Jewish readers that this idea isn't totally out of the realm of possibility, that this is the one Psalm 2 refers to, the anointed one, the son of God. But more stunningly, he's not only God in the flesh, he's God in the tent. He made his dwelling among us, says John. Here's that God with us idea alluded to in, in many Old Testament scriptures, and Matthew captures it, of course, uh, when he quotes the Emmanuel prophecy in the Christmas story. But literally, it doesn't say made his dwelling. Literally, it says pitched his tent. It's using the Greek word skene. Not the normal word for dwelling or living, but a, a more rare Greek word, skene, which means to, to camp, to dwell in a tent. And it's actually a word that the Septuagint, the Septuagint was the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament out of Hebrew into Greek. The Septuagint uses this word to talk about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which was also a tent. In fact, they even have the same initials, skene and mishkan. 
And both words are related to a third word that also has the same initial, Shekinah. Shekinah describes the indwelling glory of God in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. So what's going on with all of this? Because it's rather odd to, to talk about Christmas without uh, a baby Jesus or, or shepherds or angels or the like. Well, the concept God with us reminds us that the history of the Bible is one of God coming down. He first came down to Eden to live with, with uh, Adam and Eve, but then leaving after the fall. Then he came down to, with Moses and the people of Israel to live in the tabernacle in his Shekinah glory. Then later to a permanent temple under Solomon with again the, the glory shining until one day the glory departed in exile, followed by a promise of a new temple and the glory returning someday when he would be God with us again. Greatly, But the, the temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. It was greatly expanded by the Hasmoneans and, and made uh, more glorious and, and huge by King Herod. And yet for all of its glory, there was no true Shekinah glory. The rabbis, the priests, uh, rued the fact that ever since the exile, there had been no Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and there had been no Shekinah glory of God. And so they're asking the question, would God return to his house to be God with us? So here John says, in Jesus, God has again pitched his tent. He is tabernacling with us again. How do we know he's really God with us? Coming back to live with us like in the days of the tabernacle? Because John says, we have seen his glory the Shekinah glory of God. And the sages had said that when Messiah comes, he would be invested with God's glory. So John is saying that the glory has returned. God's presence with his people has returned. So for John, the Christmas story is not about angels and shepherds and magi. For John, Christmas is about God coming back down to his people to live with us, to bring us light and life, grace, and truth to show us again his glory, but mostly to be with us, Emmanuel. He our God and we his people in Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus only lived briefly on earth and then ascended to the Father. So he is no longer technically with us in the flesh. And indeed, we have this great promise in Revelation 21, verse 3, that God will, will come finally to dwell with us permanently. But until then, the incarnation happens in a new way, between the first advent and the second advent of Jesus. Incarnation is not so much God with us as God in us, the church. Jesus left his disciples with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And on Pentecost, they were gathered together in the house, which is what they called the temple. And the Shekinah glory of God appears for the first time in the temple in some 600 years. The Holy Spirit in the form of wind blows through and into the house and then back out of the temple 
and into the lives of believers in Jesus represented by the tongues of flame on their heads. God, who while on earth always made his dwelling in the tabernacle or temple, changes his address from the temple in Jerusalem to the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church, us. Which means that God with us right now is also God in us. We are God's incarnation. We are the way that, uh, that Christ is embodied, the body of Christ to our world today, his hands and feet. And so Paul can say, don't you know, and the word you there is plural, by the way, representing the church, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You know, when people want to see where God dwells today, they can't go look at the temple on the, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. It's not there. When people want to see where God dwells today, they look at you and me. They look at his church. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to reveal to us God and his way of life. But another part of the good news is that the incarnation hasn't stopped. God hasn't stopped dwelling with his people. He still lives in the world today through his Holy Spirit, but also until he comes. For the people you come in contact with, God looks a little bit like you and me. He looks like the church. How will we be the incarnation of Jesus, the body of Christ to our world, not only in this Christmas season, but in the new year to come? Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for this great mystery that John unfolds for us, that you pitch your tent among us, that you seek to be in a relation with, relationship with us in such a way that you sent your only son to live with us, die for us. But even when uh, he ascended back into heaven and the Spirit came, you choose to use us to represent you in this world until you come again fully and finally. And so we pray that we might do the jobs that you have called us to do. We might be the people, the church, that you want us to be. That we might share uh, the light and life that Jesus gives, the grace and truth that he reveals. We pray it all in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen.